Stella made a beat, so it's go time. Welcome, guys, to another edition of the Core 4 Podcast, making its megaphone debut as we are now under SB Nation's Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network, which you can find on Apple Podcast, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Megaphone, or wherever you listen to your podcast. So we're all excited about that. Make sure you're subscribing, downloading the episodes, and sharing them with your friends. I'm your host, Parker Fleming. And with me is none other than Nathan, the chess pass Chester. Nate, what up? Man, I am doing great. It is so good to be back. And the best part is, and also the worst part, is that we have a lot of ground to cover and a lot of things to talk about here in a pretty limited time slot. So uh, let's just get the ball rolling here. We need to get moving. (laughs) For sure, yeah. Well, I think the first thing we want to talk about, Nate, is a big topic within Grizz Nation, Grizz Media, everything. Oh, God. Front office. (laughs) <laughs> what do you think? I really, what do you, think? you know, I, I really think back on all the little think pieces and features that I've written over the last two years when it comes to uh, the front office. And do you want to know, it always made me feel bad. And it made me feel bad when I wrote the piece for uh, J.B. Bickerstaff about a week or two ago. No, I wrote it the night before he got fired. So I guess um, Robert Perra reads my stuff. Thanks, Robert. You're the best. But um, when I have to write about why I think someone should be fired, that has always bothered me. Because that's a person. They may be making uh, millions of dollars. They may be a millionaire, but that's still a tough thing to write about someone that they need to uproot their life and go somewhere else. It's the best thing for both parties involved. Chris Wallace, on the other hand, it was time for him to go. It was way well past time to go. And there's really nothing I can add here to really put that in further perspective. Now, the way that he did go was. Um, intriguing to say the least. Um, it doesn't ex- exactly show the best organizational stability when you put your current general manager out there, Chris Wallace, who says he's very confident in his job security and says for a fact that JB Bickerstaff will be back next year. And he gets, they both get fired within three hours later after that announcement. Not the best look, even if that decision didn't need to be made. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. It needed to be done. And who are we left with? Tell me who we're left with, Parker. We are left with Jason Wexler and Zachary Kleiman. You know who's my cop for Zachary Kleiman? Who is it? It, I may be shooting for the stars here, but frankly, if you're going to hire a 30-year-old lawyer – to the top position in your NBA organization's front office, you better be aiming for the stars here a little bit. So let me run a name by you in the world of professional sports that Zach Kleiman reminds me of. Are you ready for this, Parker? You ready? Mm -hmm. I'm ready. Epstein, who the Boston Red Sox hired as their general manager at the age of 28 on November 25th, 2002 and they would go on to win a world series with him as their general manager and now he's the general manager of the chicago cubs and they also won their first world series in over 100 years with him as their general manager and it was probably not the most popular hire at the time especially in a league of major league baseball that's very traditional very power oriented you have to pay your dues to be able to rise to a position of power in Major League Baseball. But the Boston Red Sox recognized a young person, to be sure, but someone they thought had a lot of potential and a lot of raw talent to get the job done when it mattered. And we don't have a ton of reason to trust in Robert Perra at the moment, but maybe that's what he sees in Zachary Kleiman. Yeah, and I do want to give like a little – disclaimer when every like like how you had said because it's not just you like everyone else says this oh we hired a lawyer 
He did intern with three different organizations, one with the Los Angeles Lakers, one with the New York Knicks, and more notably with the Charlotte Hornets, hence the hire of Richard Show. I do think he knows more than like just a basic lawyer. There's just negative connotation to, oh, he's just a lawyer. When like he's been around front offices, it's not just like you're literally getting somebody at a firm to go run the team. That's what people make it sound like. I think – and also too, I think we've kind of seen this little thing, heard a bunch of rumors and stuff about the Grizzlies kind of shifting away from walls over the like over the past two years and letting different people within the front office make some decisions, whether it's John Hollinger, Chris Makris, and now Zachary Kleiman. And if that's the case, I'm kind of confident if, it, if Zachary Kleiman was the one that made these trade deadline moves or even some of the, these draft picks or the free agent signings, like I'm not going to complain because – I wouldn't either. good. But I'm not convinced that he's the one who was in charge of those uh, decisions. I think he may have had some influence in them. There's been this running narrative over the last couple of years that, um, like you said, the Grizzlies started to move away from Chris Wallace, that he was essentially just a figurehead, a PR head that you put out to answer the questions from reporters like you and me and basically just try – his best to keep the PR ship afloat while the decisions being made by the organization were a little bit more of a group process when it comes to decision-making. But Chris Wallace's comments over the years, I think he said last year when um, he was asked about the pressures of Memphis media, he came across very arrogant and he said um, Memphis media is nothing compared to Boston. Um, And I think just over the years, he's shown himself to be a person that has an ego within the Grizzlies organization. So when after the firing of Jason Levian and Robert Perra rehired Chris Wallace as the ge- general manager of the Memphis Grizzlies, I really, for the most part, even though I think his influence did start to become reduced in some capacity, I still do think that he was the head decision maker, partially because I don't think his ego would have allowed him anything different as the general manager of the Memphis Grizzlies. So for the people who think um, possibly that uh, Kleiman and Wexler have been making pretty much all the basketball decisions over the last year or two, and this isn't really a radical shift, this is really just more of a PR move than anything else, um, I, I think that's incorrect. I really do think Wallace has had more influence than maybe some people are willing to admit over the last couple of years. And I think you you might disagree with me on that. I think we talked about this pretty recently. I don't exactly remember what you said, but – uh, what are your thoughts on that? On just Wallace in general and mm-hmm. his firing? Like how much influence did you think he had over the last two years? Um, I would say I think he had like a lot of input in the draft. Um, I mean, I think Jaron Jackson was kind of an easy pick, especially once uh, Aiton, Bagley, Doncic were off the board. And then after that, you're – picking Trey Young, who, and then even then the Grizzlies wanted to use that pick to catapult back into the playoffs this year. We saw how that worked out. And so I think Jaron Jackson Jr. was the easy pick there at four. So, I mean, I think that was, I mean, I think a makers could have had a little input on that because I did hear his name pop up a lot last year, but ultimately I did do think Chris Wallace was the one calling the shots on that one. And obviously he had input on that second round draft pick because you know how he loves grit and grind, man. Javon Card, the grindson. Um, there's still plenty I, of time for Javon Carter to become a solid. But he definitely looked good um, the last couple of weeks of the season. I forget how many points he scored in the final game, but um, he played. He was playing great those last couple of games. But um, unless you're trying to find a player that fits a certain mold, and I know I'm about piss off um however however many west virginia fans we have listening to this podcast but there is no objective reason you take javon carter over jalen brunson in that spot but that's besides the point yeah that's besides the point and i will say another thing i think um chris wallace might have had been put on are you ready oh what the botched trade because you know what i think 
I think Pear and Kleiman, they made the deal, and Dylan Brooks was indeed in it. Interesting. And Chris Balls was like, no, that's my best draft pick in the past 10 years, and he's <laughs> a valuable piece into this team. Somebody that they marketed super heavily over – the entire offseason last year, someone that I wrote a six feature piece on as an elite role player. God bless your heart. I know, dude. 18 games, man. <laughs> I write that and he plays 18 games this year because of injury. Three, three man, games. That sucks. You wrote one part for every three games that he played. I mean, that's remarkable journalism, if you ask me. I swear. Speaking of like Dylan Brooks, Jaron Jackson, and all them, I do want to ask you this because this is a big question popping up a lot in. Grizzlies media, Grizzlies Twitter, and that's the next head coach. We can go all day and the whole podcast talking about potential hires, but how do you want the next head coach to use these guys such as Jaron Jackson Jr. and Kyle Anderson and Dylan Brooks, maybe maybe even DeLon Wright or Bruno Caboclo? Let me uh, say something that's going to make me sound like a very casual NBA fan who's been marginally watching the Memphis Grizzlies for the last year. And it's basically the same thing I've been saying since last summer. You want to know what that is? What? Darren Jackson is the future of the Memphis Grizzlies. Not a very radical, not a very revolutionary statement I'm making right there. That's pretty much something that anyone who listens to this show and anyone who follows the Grizzlies or the NBA in general already knows. But there's still a lot of indecision about what the future of this team is going to look like, especially going into next year, even after the firing, Chris Wallace and J.B. Bickerstaff. I mean, with Bickerstaff in particular, that's like one domino that has already fallen that we weren't sure it was going to fall. But maybe when we start to have candidates get brought up, now let's say it's Becky Hammond who's getting mentioned for the job, and I am far from being on the Becky Hammond train. I hear all sorts of very good things about her from within the Spurs organization. And she led a a summer league team to a championship. Uh, Take of that what you will. She's also never been a lead assistant, which I think probably needs to be at the front of the list for people that you're looking at for the Grizzlies job. However, if you did hire someone like Becky Hammond, I'm thinking, okay, you're taking a much more future-oriented approach here. You're probably not trying to go all in on making the playoffs next year because – As of right now, I'd say it's far more likely than not that Mike Conley is not in a Grizzlies uniform on opening night next year. But who knows with the new organization and new leadership. Chris Wallace, as far as we know, is the one who put Mike Conley and Marcus Gasol on the block uh, a couple weeks before the trade deadline. With him gone, for all I know, Mike Conley has a come-to-Jesus meeting with Zachary Kleiman and Robert Perra, and they decide it's in the best interest for both parties for Conley to remain in Memphis. But the point I'm trying to make here is, as far as an overall vision going forward, no matter what candidate they choose, it's still really difficult to see right now at the moment. Um, There's going to be a bunch of little pieces that are going to fall into place of the next coming months that will give us a better overall picture. We'll find out if Mike Conley gets traded. We'll find out if the Grizzlies actually conveyed the pick or they'll get to keep their pick either in the top four or at the number eight spot. And all those little details will add clarity to the picture of what the Grizzlies' vision will be going forward. However, I do think whoever they hire I think you can expect them to be more focused on player development and going back to what you originally said about Dylan Brooks Jaron Jackson expect those guys to be up front going forward Um, I would definitely expect even whether he returns or not, even if Avery Bradley returns to the team next year, I would definitely expect Dylan Brooks to get a more featured role than he does. Um, And Jaron Jackson, the Grizzlies are relying on him to take a big leap here in the next year or two. Whether that will be his sophomore season, I don't Nothing will rise or fall with him. So he needs to be the center of every plan, especially if Mike Conley's not here. Yeah, and one thing I did like and that I read with on The Athletic with Amari and Peter's interview 
with Zachary Kleinman and Jason Wexler. Is apparently, this team is looking for a more long-term approach, which is something we've honestly just been begging for. We've seen too many attempts at short-sided moves to make the playoffs when they might not have been as realistic as we saw this year. They had, they went after a bunch of, well, for one, in 2017, when they got rid of Zach Randolph and Tony Allen, their plan was simple. Like, oh, we're just going to get a bunch of athletes and Fizzfield's going to develop them. You know, like Ben McLemore, Jarrell Martin, Andrew Harrison's not really much of an athlete, but he's more of a project who fits that secondary playmaker uh, mold that Fizdale was trying to mold him into some sort of a three and D guard. Obviously with Tyreek Evans, he was superb, but he wasn't a long-term fit. And then also this year, they're like, Oh, we're going to replace these guys that may not these low IQ guys with high IQ basketball players. In reality, they just got a bunch of high floor low ceiling players such as Garrett Temple, Shelvin Mack, and uh, shoot, Justin Holiday. I, I can go on about the moves they made this summer that's just kind of short-sighted effort to make the playoffs around Mike and Mark. Yeah. In reality, it didn't work. So I do think whatever we see this summer, I think there will be a more long-term approach with that. And I'm really interested to see how they tackle that, especially with this pick they owe to Boston because you never know. I mean, granted, you could end up like in a situation like the Brooklyn Nets when you're conveying a top five pick to the Boston Celtics, but you can also be this year's Kings team that conveys more than likely the 14th pick in this year's draft. When you and remember us two just straight up mocking the Kings in our NBA preview podcast, we, we did. Were, we ate we, our work, most part. We annihilated them, mainly because they were playing Marvin Bagley at the two guard. But still, we were just – they weren't hearing the end of it. I think I said, and I quote, what in God's name are they doing over there? And it's not – they didn't make the playoffs, but they looked like a reasonably talented and competent basketball team this year, which is more than they can say for any other team they've had over the past decade. Yeah, I agree. And I guess to and then also too the you've always mentioned the big thing with Mike Conley. I think he has basically come out and demanded a trade without saying the words I want out. You yeah. know, he's dropped in these little subtle I want to try to play for a contender, whether that's here or in um somewhere else, or phrases like I've already been through rebuilding, we need to let Jaron do this. Um, I think Conley's just all but said, trade me. He said, trade me without actually saying, I want out. Peter Edmonston's piece about him was essentially a long-form feature of a trade demand. There's really no other way you could spend what he said. And I thought it was one of the most stirring indictments of the culture of the Memphis Grizzlies over, say, the last five or six years. Because you remember, we can go all the way back to 2011, and we can remember all the buzzwords and all the catchy slogans, grit and grime, believe Memphis, uh, greater Memphis, get Memphis this year. Still have no idea what that means. And all of these slogans, all these rallying cries were based around a singular goal. And Parker, you don't want to know what that goal was? What was this goal? To make noise in the playoffs. That was always the goal. We never exactly knew what that really meant. Uh, many of us, including ourselves, talked us talked ourselves into saying that meant title contention. And I think they really could have won a title in 2015, and every if everything had broken right. But <clears throat> but for the most part, the ceiling for the Memphis Grizzlies over the course of the grit and grind era was making noise in the playoffs. It was always a very positive thing. It was always great to make noise in the playoffs. But here you have Mike Conley. In an interview with Peter Edmondson and Conley is just saying, I'm tired of making noise. Because at the end of the day, he's telling us what we've always known deep down, and it's true. Making noise, noise is just noise at the end of the day. It's not really something meaningful. It's not really something that people are going to remember in the annals of NBA history. You want to be remembered? You want to be legendary? 
You're going to have to go somewhere else to do it. Mike Conley's tired of making noise because right now and over the last five years in Memphis, making noise is all that's been done here. Mike Conley wants to win, and he's ready to go do that somewhere else. And I also think, and part of the flaws and how the Grizzlies have just gone about things over the last couple of years from the front office, the Grizzlies are an interesting case study in that you have to adapt an identity and a vision for what an absolute vision for what you want to do going forward. You can't stray between a rebuild and competing. I think they're a good example that just trying to fit both of those pieces together, saying this is kind of a closet rebuild. We're also still trying to compete and make the playoffs. This is not going to work unless you're the San Antonio Spurs and you have three Hall of Famers that are still on your roster and you happen to nail a uh, nail the 11th pick in that year's draft and end up with another Hall of Famer and Kawhi Leonard on your roster. There's simply no real way that you could try to compete while also trying to rebuild at the same time, the Grizzlies need to commit going forward that we are entirely about the future. And if they do so and stick to that vision, I think they will find success, but they can't continue to straddle the fence. Yep, I agree. And I guess one more thing I want to ask you before we move before we move on to my interview with Joe Molinax, our our beloved site manager. Of course. Where do you where do you want Mike Conley to go? Because as we've seen in these playoffs, there are plenty of teams that need a point guard. Like, imagine how good Orlando would be if they had Mike Conley instead of DJ Augustine, who's really just don't, a backup point guard. Dare disrespect DJ Augustine after that game one. Now, I'm not sure if he scored a double figure since that game, but like he said, that was the biggest game of his career, the biggest shot of his career. Yeah, we've even seen teams that had a chance to pick him up at the deadline but didn't with Indiana and Utah. God, Utah looks foolish for that, and I think they closed their window. I have zero sympathy for the Utah Jazz or Indiana Pacers or even the Detroit Pistons for that matter. They are all three of those. uh, Indiana's already been swept. Utah's down 3-0, and I think Detroit is losing right now in game four at home, so they're about to get swept. All of them considered a point guard and added an elite point guard and Mike Conley to their roster. But no, the Utah Jazz wanted to keep Dante Exum on their roster. Yep. And then also, I think Toronto would be much better with Mike Conley rather than Raymond Felton with some clout. (laughs) (laughs) I knew you'd like that. That's got to be. I have seen, I was so here for the Kyle Lowry jokes after game one, but that's got to be the most disrespectful thing. <laughs> Raymond Felton. Okay, that's the second most disrespectful thing I've heard today about an NBA player. You want to know what's the most disrespectful thing I've heard? Let let me hear it. Russell, Johnny Flynn with anger issues at ADHD. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, oh, yo, what? <laughs> You said Russell Westbrook is just a Johnny Flynn with anger issues and ADHD. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! I no matter whether it's Russell Westbrook or Kyle Lowry, I and it is so great. But <clears throat> where do we like calling to go? Back to our original question: disrespecting okay. <laughs> Russell Westbrook and Kyle Lowry. I think the Lakers provides the best um, situation for both parties. Mike Conley gets the best chance to win a championship playing with the best player in the league. And, yes, he is still the best player in the league until proven otherwise. And perhaps even the future GOAT or current GOAT, depending on what where your line of thinking goes. But Conley obviously gets a chance to win an NBA championship, probably better than any other situation with the Lakers. And Lonzo is probably coming to Memphis in any trade scenario for Conley to the Lakers. Um, I love that. Um, I think he's going to be great. I think he will be a great player. He's already a he's already a great defender, excellent playmaker. The shooting's just got to come along. Um the shooting is a very important thing because I think Russell Westbrook is showing right now that no matter how great you are at the game of basketball and all the different areas of the game, if you can't shoot, 
especially if you're a volume shooter like him, you're going to lower the ceiling of your team and you're just not going to impact winning basketball very much as a starting point guard in the modern NBA. But I think Alonzo provides a very good option going forward. Um, I honestly think DeLon Wright's better than he is right now. DeLon Wright would start over him if Lonzo came to Memphis. But Lonzo would be a very good piece to get back. I'd also want a first-round pick. But, yeah, that could provide the uh, best situation for both parties. Yeah. Uh, well, for one, um, I as a big baller, I disagree with you about DeLon Wright's. I think right now DeLon Wright might be a tad better than Lonzo. And – but also he's six years older than Lonzo Ball. DeLon Wright is in his prime. I don't think he's going to get much better than he is right now unless he starts getting consistent starter minutes. We'll see. And then I want to see what he does that when it's not, you know, April. Because just remember, Grayson Allen dropped 40 points in the season finale. Um yeah, my friend Cedric, who told me that Grayson Allen is going to be an all-star. And when I scoffed at him, he told me I was racist against white NBA players, which is, um, of course, I want the white NBA players to succeed. I mean, come on now. But um, so he rubbed that in my face. But I agree with you completely. Um, he had three triple doubles in the last four games of the season. Dwayne Wade had five triple doubles for his career. thought that was a pretty humorous stat. But and you're right that DeLon Wright's in his prime, and he's probably not going to get much better. But DeLon Wright actually is. Uh, we've seen him play great in April. But I want to see him get those starter minutes. I want to see him play 32 minutes a night and see what he really is. And who knows, maybe he's an 18-8 and eight guy. Maybe he's more than that. We're going to see next year probably. Yeah, I'd agree with you. And obviously, to kind of answer my own question before we dip out, I kind of think the Lakers – I mean, obviously the Lakers would be the best move because I want Lonto Ball back. I want them to be greedy and give us Josh Hart or their first-round pick, and then we can pair Jaron Jackson and Brandon Clark, and nobody's going to be able to stop them. Like, you trying to run pick-and-roll, good luck, because you're going to have mm-hmm. Brandon Clark or Jaron Jackson all over your point yard. And then yep. I think other than that, if I had to play devil's advocate and give another – Trade destination. I would kind of, kind of monitor how greedy a team like the Utah's New York Knicks can get. Utah is going to be what? desperate. I think Utah will be desperate. But their trade package is is honestly, Joe. I don't know the rating of the um, GBB podcast network, but the trade package is pretty shitty. Um, because just think, would you rather get back Ricky Rubio? Or Dante Exum. Because Ricky Exum. Rubio is a free agent. Yeah, Dante Exum easily. But, but he, I think Utah's at a point of desperation here where – and I think there was the initial rumors that sounded too good to be true, as they always do. Utah was uh, potentially thinking about sending out two first-round picks to Con- for Conley um, along with Dante Exum. Now, of course, you read that and you think, yeah, hell no, that's not going to happen. But Utah and the situation they are, maybe Memphis swindles them because I honestly don't know how else Utah can improve their situation. They have to do something kind of drastic to get out of the hole that they're in because they right now are a first-round exit team anytime soon until they do something drastic. Yeah, I agree with you. But, you know – I mean, they just kind of missed out their window. If Utah offers two first-round picks, you take that. Yeah, I I mean, I agree with you. And the early returns on that may be kind of ugly because Dante Exum can't stay healthy and he hasn't shown any star quality yet in the NBA in year five. He's still Uh, getting bought. I mean, the only thing he showed is like, oh, he could be a defensive specialist. Like, great, another one of those. Derek Favors may not even be back next year because he has a team option or non-guaranteed eighteen million, so they would just cut him. Same thing they yeah. are going to do with Avery Bradley. So you're just really relying on Exum staying healthy and hitting on those first round picks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, Nate, do you have anything else to say before we move on to Joe Molinax? I really don't have much. 
I am just ready to get some more clarity on the overall vision and what it's going to be in the summer because, frankly, I'm just getting tired of speculation at this point. Um, I want to know what's going to happen and give my thoughts on what's about to happen because, frankly, (laughs) I'm just tired of being in the dark, and we've been in the dark for pretty much since December of this year. Yeah, man, I totally understand. But with that, Nate, plug your stuff in before we move on to Joe Mullinax of grizzlybearblues.com. You can follow me it's on Twitter at Big Nate Chester, and you can find all of my Grizzlies and NBA content uh, at grizzlybearblues.com. All right. Thank you, Nate. And we will catch you on the other side with our site manager, Joe Molinax. All right, guys, welcome back to the core four. We were just joined by Nathan Chester of SB Nation's Grizzly Bear Blues, my co host. Grizzly Bear Blues senior staff writer. So give him a follow at Big Nate Chester. And now we got he's really just muscled a load over here at GBB on his spring break. He's run three different GBB lives on SB Nation's Grizzly Bear Blues podcast network. He wrote a terrific 3,500 word column about who the Grizzlies should hire, outlining both dreams and realities. It's the man himself, Joe Molinax. Joe, what's up? Man himself. I don't know about all that, but uh, I appreciate it. You know, spring break's terrific. Like I said, I'm a podcast. I have some more time. And the kids have to go to daycare anyway. You don't know about that stuff yet, but you know, the kids have to go to daycare anyway, paying for spots and all that stuff. So it's a chance for me to get caught up on some blog work. So I appreciate the nice introduction. Yeah, and what a time to, you know, have spring break, catch up on your blog stuff. The Grizzlies demoted Chris Wallace. J.B. Bickerstaff was fired. It brought in Wexler and Kleiman. They already hired Rich Cho and Glenn Grunwald. And then there's also a coaching search. On top of that, there's like Mike Conley trade speculation too. So you're just like in like prime blog boy territory right now. And the best part about it is apparently everything's bad. So I got into a, a pretty good-hearted Twitter debate. It's always nice when you get one of those. People aren't calling you an idiot or, or anything like that. But I got into a pretty good debate on Twitter today with uh, Blue City Joe, former, or actually two former GB beers, uh, Chase Lucas and Joe Weatherwax. And, yes, I know that's weird that somebody has such a similar name to me. But yeah. uh, two, good, two good dudes, former GB beers, and their opinion is not 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 one that is rare. I would argue that they're in the majority. There's still people that are unhappy, you know, that that don't really see all of this, that the change that I feel like is pretty clearly going on. Um, it's not enough or it's not the right kind of change or they're, they're just not really excited about how things are going with the Grizzlies, the, the types of hires that they're making and all that sort of stuff. So, uh, to me, to my surprise, and I'm kind of curious your take on this as well, what you think uh, – I'm excited still. I think they're going in a good direction, at least a different direction. I think it's fair to have questions about this front office because of the ownership angle and the absence of leadership that has left a void to be yelled into for two years from Chris Wallace. So I think some hesitance is understandable, but there's just people that are poo-pooing all over these moves and – and I'm kind of surprised by that. I thought there'd be more universal uh, excitement about the changes that did happen, but it seems like there's so much built-up frustration from the last two years that it almost wasn't enough, or they just don't believe that it's actually happening the way that it should. Yeah, and I'm with you on this. I'm excited because I've been a Grizzlies fan since their last season in the Pyramid, and this is really the second time where I really felt like there was change because the first time there was change, it was when they traded Pal Gasol and Shane Battier, which was really just like, okay, we just got swept in three straight playoffs in a row. This ain't working. We need to start over. Right. And then now, like these are the only times where I felt like there was actually change. And until something is actually bad, like I'm not going to like, crap all over the recent hires of you know like rich cho and glenn grunwald even then i'm not gonna like be extremely like disappointed about our coach because let's be real they're gonna hire an assistant because 
that's the wave in today's modern NBA is if a coach is getting hired, it's more than likely an assistant from an esteemed coaching tree. Just, I mean, we've seen it with Nick Nurse, Mike Budenholzer, Kenny Atkinson, Quinn Snyder. There's a lot of these assistants that were relatively unknown when they got the job and they've ended up flourishing. So I'm really not going to like big, I'm not going to give big judgments on what Rexler or Kleiman are doing or saying if there's actually change or not until I see them on the court in October and November and December. Well, and I think part of the argument is the the fact that there's a lot of, there's a lack of clarity in regards to how active Kleiman has been all along. You know, same thing with Cho and, uh, and Grunwell. They all had some sort of role within the front office to begin with. So, Depending on your perspective, you see it as them just doing more of the same. But to me, and I made this point on Twitter, I am a part-time blogger, right? Like I, I'm a site manager. I get paid. Uh, I get paid, I think, relatively well considering this is my hobby. Um, most people pay for their hobby. I actually get paid for mine. But my point is I'm a part-time blogger, right? This is a part-time gig. I am not an employee of SB Nation or Vox Media, our parent company. I am a contractor. I don't get benefits. I'm not viewed as a full-blown media member. All that is fine because I'm a part-time person. If I was a full-time writer and media person for Vox Media and SB Nation, there is a completely different setup that goes along with that. And the reason that I don't get those things is because I'm not a full-time member of the organization. And to me, to say that uh, Richard Cho, for example, Rich Cho, is, was a part of what was happening when he was a part-time advisor. He didn't live in Memphis. All of these things are pretty major life changes that I feel like you're just throwing aside because you're saying that he was in an advisory role to begin with. Um, you know, and I don't think that's fair. I don't think that's fair to a guy who's 30 years old, Zachary Kleiman, who is already kind of behind the eight ball because of his age, because of the way that he's going to be perceived. And he needs folks like Cho and Grunwald to be in place to help him kind of navigate the waters of the crazy world that must be NBA front offices. So I'm really interested in the reaction. I think more than anything, it has to do with the idea that they just are – fans are just so fed up with Robert Pera. Like I said, the void that was created because of the way that Chris Wallace was allowed to run this organization for at least the past two years, you have no certainty. I think everybody is pretty much on board that the Brooks fiasco, Marshawn and Dylan, the trade with Washington and Phoenix, that was that was Chris Wallace. But beyond that, how involved was Kleiman in the Justin Holiday trade? Uh, most people agree that he was pretty on point in terms of running the show at the trade deadline. But then it comes down to your perception of the trade deadline. Should they have gotten more from Marcus Gasol? Is the deal that they got realistically the best they could have done? I think you can argue yes to all of that. And they got two younger players, Valanciunas in DeLon Wright, entering their primes or in their primes, that can contribute to a team that you, you have to field a basketball team with some guys that aren't 20 years old. I, I, you can't just have a bunch of Jaron Jackson Juniors running around uh, in terms of age. So I like that they got functional basketball players who may not be as good as they are going to be long-term for Mark. And I like that better than a 2021 lottery protected first round pick. I just do because that's, you know, that's kicking the can down the road and you're dealing with a, a value on something from a team like say Charlotte or Utah I mean, Utah has Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell, and they have a couple other young players. Who's to say that Utah isn't going to be, just for example, with the Mike Conley trade, who's to say that those teams aren't going to be good? You know, you could argue they're going to be bad, but at the same time, they could be really good, especially in the case of Utah. So I I don't know. I I guess it comes down to your perspective of how the trades went down. Uh, To me, I liked the Marcus All trade when it happened, and I liked the fact after the Avery Bradley deal was explained, because I didn't fully understand it at first either, but you needed the Avery Bradley trade to conduct the Marc Gasol trade. And after it all was settled, I think that both teams got better. I think Memphis got better. They won more games after the trade deadline than they had before then. I forget the exact stretch time, but 
they had success, at least more success than they were having. So I think that the biggest piece of it, Parker, is that folks are just so frustrated and tired of the way things have gone the last two years and feel that I'm not sure whoever they would have brought in what would have fixed the issue entirely. And it's going to take tangible results. Like you said, the, the, whatever team comes out in October for training camp, it's going to take us seeing that or take at least some people seeing that to make a final call on whether or not these were good hires or not. I think that's responsible and I think that's fair. I just don't understand being so negative or positive one way or another on it. I'm very much wait and see, and I'm cautiously optimistic because it's not Chris Wallace. This is like the Shell Mac trade of, uh, of front office moves. It's, not, it's no longer Chris Wallace running the show. And if you think it is, then you're either calling the Grizzlies organization inept or liars. And I'm not sure which one is worse. So I'm going to take them at their word, change here, and let's see if it actually physically manifests into a different product on the court. Yeah, I agree with you. And I've always made my opinion clear on the trade deadline on Grizzly Bear Blues and on Twitter. I was a big fan of all the moves um, with uh, the Charlotte deal that was potentially going to go down. It was probably going to be Bismack Biombo, either Michael Kidd, Girl Christ, or Marvin Williams, plus a lottery protected first round pick. But what if that, and for one, they're going to keep their first round pick this year. So that's right. That would have been a complete wash because then you're looking at one year out. It's like, okay, we traded away. Still a guy that's an impact player at the center position for a third string center that's getting paid $17 million or and then a wing that actually can't shoot. Like He makes Tony Allen look like a competent three-point shooter. <laughs> so. I mean, I thought they did well on those trades, and I do think that Kleiman was a big factor in those trades because, I mean, Chris Wallace could have just traded Marcus Gasol last year if he saw the writing on the wall, but he didn't. Like Marcus Gasol should have been traded last season when there, there was no hope for this team at all. And maybe when like a team like Cleveland was calling and willing to offer you a first round pick, and honestly, what say what was a much better draft? The 2018 draft may go down as one of the best drafts of this generation. Oh, sure, at least the top five, at the very least. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's so you've been on GBB Live on Grizzly Bear Blues talking a lot about potential front office hires, potential coaching hires. Um, potential Mike Conley trades. You haven't really given a big board yet of like guys you won in the draft, have you? No, not yet. Um, I, I tried to avoid it because I know I'm going to have to put Cam Reddish on there somewhere. And the moment I type Cam Reddish, I feel like I'm going to throw my laptop. So I, I don't necessarily want to do that just yet. But I, I will for you, Parker. If you'd like for me, I think I posted it on Twitter once. Uh, I, I can give you some tears if you'd like. Yeah, so like around eight, I mean, obviously, I know you love DeAndre Hunter, Virginia product. Oh, uh, I'm sorry, you said around eight. I, I, it's, a, it's a tick. When I ever hear the actual possibility of eighth overall, it makes me sick. But yes, keep, keep going. Um, I'm trying to think of anyone else. You like Darius Garland, right? Yeah, if Darius Garland's there, look, it, it, if you go into it assuming, obviously, Zion's going one, and then John Morant and R.J. Barrett, one combination of those two players goes two and three. Whoever's picking fourth is probably going to have their choice between a Jerry Silver or DeAndre Hunter, uh, if, unless they don't need a winner. Um, like the Phoenix Suns, for example, they might jump up a little bit, might look to trade back, because uh, there's lots of wings later on in the lottery. Um if you assume that both DeAndre Hunter and Jared Taylor are gone before the Grizzlies pick at eight, that would put, you know, a couple of guys like maybe uh, a Brandon Clark, um, you know, Cam Reddish, hopefully that's all prey uh, is off the board at that point. If the Grizzlies do pick eight, um, I would think it makes the most sense. I, I like the idea of at eight picking an explosive potential score especially if you hire somebody like Sam Cassell, who you mentioned my articles over at Grizzly Bear Blues. Uh, he's my top pick. You know, I like all the folks that I wrote about, but I would like Sam Cassell most. I think he's ready. I think he is seasoned. He's the right mix of experience. And as you mentioned, the trend of hiring since the head coaching gigs, I think Sam Cassell checks all those boxes that we're looking for. 
and he's really good at developing point guards. So if Darius Garland's there at eight and you're planning on moving on from Mike Conley in general, uh, you know, you have Milan Wright and Darius Garland, or maybe you go in a different direction. You wing or not wing, uh, a veteran big like Brandon Clark from Gonzaga, and you pair him with Jaron Jackson Jr. And good luck opposing front courts trying to score on those guys for the next decade. And then you complete a Mike Conley trade and you get Lonzo Ball, who's another plus defender, and a first-round pick or two, or you add Josh Hart to that mix. And now all of a sudden you've got Jaron Jackson Jr., you've got Lonzo Ball, you've got Brandon Clark, and, and picking ace doesn't look as bad. Um, you can make the same argument for Cam Reddish, I guess, if you like. He definitely has skill and talent. There's no denying that. I think Cam Reddish is a mentality. It's a, it's a mental thing. It's the same stuff that people hated about Jeff Green. I feel like I see that more with Cam than I did with Jeff Green, that same kind of concern about not really implementing and fulfilling his potential. So uh, I would really like it if DeAndre Hunter was there. I think he'd be a home run at eight if you're picking him eighth of this draft. I think that's good value. He probably won't be there. Uh, Darius Garland would probably be my next guy that, that I would like in terms of potential to be a home run pick. I also like the idea of if there's somebody who falls and you're not necessarily in love with them, but Cam Reddish would be a good example of that. Take a player and see if you can trade his rights. If you know the Lakers, the Celtics, if you know one of those types that has multiple picks later in the first round, the Brooklyn Nets maybe, if you know somebody has multiple picks later in the draft and or you just want a future pick and they really like Cam Reddish, see how much they like Cam Reddish. If they're really sold on his talent and his ability and they're willing to test him and, and develop him, see if you can trade his rights. Because once the Grizzlies use the pick, they can trade it. They can't trade it before because of the protections on it, but they can trade it once it's used in terms of a player. So you can trade the rights to somebody. I think that's an option too. I kind of like the depth of this draft in a sneaky way. I mentioned the Brooklyn idea. If Brooklyn really likes Cam Reddish for some reason, and you give him to Brooklyn with the eighth overall pick after using it, and they give you, I haven't checked it lately, but say they pick 16th and 26th or something like that, and they give you those two later picks, and you're able to turn those picks into, I always butcher his name, but the forward from Washington who has a pretty uh, good bit to his game, uh, Matisse Thibault or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, Matisse Thibault. Yeah. Um, so if you pick somebody like that or tie to home towards the end of the late first round, a good scoring big combo guard, I think there's value in both of those types of guys. To me, it'd be better to just trade back and revisit it, in my opinion. Yeah. I on I honestly I feel like that would have been more of a possibility one if Mike Conley was gone at the trade deadline because it'd be like oh True. crap we didn't convey we're at 8 we may not have our pick next year let's go ahead and try to get another late first round pick to it's like kind of compensates the fact of maybe they don't have their first round pick in 2020 and it's like a 7 or 8 you're getting kind of similar but not really similar value but I feel like I've I've tried to relay this to you, Joe. I really like the depth in this draft, not in the fact where it's like star studded, but there's some right. guys that I can see playing like pivotal roles in the next era of Grizzlies basketball, especially off the bench. You know, you have a guy like Ty Jerome who could be a nice backup point guard for whoever the point guard of the future is. He also has the size to play on the wing, maybe as like a two really small three. I really like Tyler Hero and his ability to create off the dribble. Uh, the Kevin O'Connor from the Ringer actually put his had like his big board for his top thirty, and he had for Tyler Hero shades of Devin Booker, C.J. Miles, and Courtney Lee. And I once I saw Devin Booker, that's all I needed to know. That is like okay, I'm a hundred percent sold on this guy. And then there's also guys that they could trade for in the second round because I feel like second round picks are pretty easy to buy. Because we walked into the 2017 draft, zero draft picks, and we came out with Ivan Rabb and Dylan Brooks, who could be good, cheap options next year off the bench for the Memphis Grizzlies. And who's to say they don't fall in love with Dedrick Lawson, who is from Memphis. I played against him in cool. AAU ball. Um, oh, and, he, <laughs> and he went to Kansas. And Chris Walls is a scout now. Oh, and that would just be great. Yeah, that would really squash all the concerns about things not changing if they took another Kansas product. Oh, yeah. But honestly, really a guy that I would love to trade for in the second round is Admiral Schofield from Tennessee. 
He was in Memphis last year for a pre-draft workout. That was one of the workouts he sent me for. And right. he's really evolved his game since going to through the pre-draft process and getting feedback from multiple NBA scouts, execs, coaches, all that. And he really became like a multi-positional three-point threat where I really think he can guard positions one through four while also shooting 35% from three. And if you have him and Dylan Brooks off your bench, that's a very good wing combo off your bench going forward. Yeah, I don't disagree with you. I think there's depth there as well. So I I really don't like picking eighth. I would rather have two later picks than pick eighth. That's kind of my my stance on the on the quality of this draft. I feel like the middle to late lottery, there's not as much there as there would be in terms of value later on, mid to late first round, and then in the second, as you mentioned. Um, Joe, it's unfortunate. We went super overtime today just talking about the draft <laughs> and talking about the Grizzlies front office. Man, wow. But Joe, go ahead and plug away all your all your stuff. Oh, sure. I'll be fast. Check out our staff over at grizzlybearblues.com. Parker's a big part of that. Everybody's doing a great job. Uh, this is the first podcast of the core four on our new CBB podcast network. Make sure you're checking out both CBB Live and the core four. We're going to keep expanding. Hopefully, we'll have one to two podcasts a week on this network so folks can get to a routine getting stuff from us, either it's core four or CBB Live. Um, thanks to everybody who reads, who listens, everybody who makes us a part of their fan experience. It's much appreciated. And Parker, thanks to you for having me on, buddy. Thanks, Joe, for coming on. And, guys, you can follow him on Twitter at Joe Mullinax. You can follow me on Twitter at Paca underscore Flocka. You can find the Core 4 on Twitter at the Core 4 Podcast with the number 4, not the letter 4. And just subscribe, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Because this is a big move for GBB and the Core 4, and we would love for you to stick with us this offseason. So with that, we'll see you next week. 